You're listening to the Communicate with Confidence podcast with me, your host, Luke Maxwell. This podcast is dedicated to helping you build confidence, increase your communication skills, and journey with me in the relentless pursuit of what you want most in life. In this episode, I'm so happy to have a partner at Yellow Line Digital, my former boss and fencing buddy here on the podcast to discuss sales and everything in between about getting to where he is. Thank you so much for being on here, Steven. Thank you, Luke. Glad to be with you. It's exciting. Yeah, I finally got you on after a year of doing this podcast. I'm like, I need Steven on. I'm finally at a place where I can, you know, give you, you know, the best podcasting experience I can. And I like to start these interviews with something that I noticed about you, something, you know, positive that I've always thought. And one thing that you taught me about sales in a big, big way is about lulling you're the person you're selling to in a very casual conversation. And I would sit there, I'd be just being a trance. I'd just be like, oh, I'm so relaxed right now. You're just <laughs> chatting about stuff. And for me, like, I'm a very, like, hard point salesman. Like, okay, do it. You know, talk, get it. Or, like, get the sale, make the clothes. Okay, then, like, I'm done. But that's something that I always have in the back of my mind whenever I'm making a sale, whenever I'm doing any kind of sales, I'm like, okay, Pull a Steven, just have a conversation, just talk to him about stuff. It doesn't have to be around the sale. So I just wanted to put that out there uh, hey, I for you. I appreciate it. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad you say that because I thought you were going to say margin grabbing or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, those I, are the days. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think my, you know, I like that you start with that because it kind of highlights my philosophy about sales, which is most people when they think about sales and even people thinking about themselves in sales, they think about car salesmen or trying to be persuaded. And I've, I've thought of it less as persuasion and more about matchmaking. You're trying to okay. find the right value fit for the person on the other side of the phone or on the other side of the table and get on their side of the table and be on their team. And I know, I know that in my career, I, I was on the phone yesterday with a guy who's uh, just sold his company. He's a VP of a company in, in lighting that I used to work with. He used to be, the, you know, he was the founder and owner. And um, he invited me to his wedding. You know, we get along great. We're good friends. <laughs> we have been because... I tried to provide him authentic solutions and really help him succeed in his business. And I took it personally. And I took it personally that I wanted to help him succeed. And I had clients tell me, you know, some of my customers told me, business isn't personal, you know, when they tell me no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on some level. But at the same time, if you really are partners, it can be. Right. Yeah, and and I love that, you know, because the sale is not – it shouldn't be about you. If you make it about you, then all of a sudden you're not being a very good salesman. And I think that's one thing that I I learned. I kind of like had it like in me, um, but I really had to learn is like, okay, I'm making the sale for them. Because if I make the sale for them, I'm I'm going to make that sale again, right? And I'm going to sell more because people love having it all be about them. And if they're succeeding and doing well, they're going to buy from you again and again and again and buy more from you. So I love that. But I want to try to draw it back. Because there are a lot of people who are in the place where I met you, you know, a good, what is it, four years ago or something like that? Me as a scrawny little teenager, um, not really knowing what I'm going to do with my life. And you taught me a lot about sales, you know, running, you know, just, just business in general, being a boss, being an employee, you know, being a good employee. And I wanted to kind of draw back from you in your journey how did you get to the place that you are? Because this doesn't just materialize. What does that journey look like? Do you want the long version or the short version? <laughs> well, how long do you have? <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, I'll try to breeze through it. But okay. 
I like to start with principles, right? I like to start with like, what was the foundation of kind of how I got to where I was going? Mm-hmm. And in high school, I read an article in Backpacker magazine about a guy who was from the former Soviet bloc. I think he was in like Sweden or Finland or something. And during the communist occupation, he would go out and like disappear into the woods and uh, live off the land with his mom with nothing but a knife. He came to the U.S. later in life and he took a bunch of teens out into the woods to survive off the land using nothing but a knife. And they did it. You know, these 20 teens, 10 guys, 10 girls. And this, what, what I loved about the story is that these it, it's about independence, but it's mm-hmm. about interdependence as well. It's not just being independent. It's that they relied on each other and then they could solo. None of them were a burden to one another. And they weren't going to rely on the economy. They weren't going to rely on anyone else to determine how they could survive. They were going to take it into their own hands and become the best they could be and support others. And I love that vision for myself. I grew up in a family of 13 kids. There wasn't a lot of money to go around. Uh, let's just say career wasn't always 100% a surety for my dad in terms of being able to provide. He always did and always will. But um, it wasn't a certainty. And so I wanted that independence for certainty. So I went to a school for entrepreneurial business. And that's what led me to an entrepreneurial career. And in terms of being a salesperson, I've always been involved in entrepreneurial sales. And you'll see that kind of through line throughout my career to date. And mm-hmm. I think it's something that um, is exciting. But really, for me, it's been about the knife in the woods. If you can generate revenue, you can figure out how to use that to get done what you're going to do for your client. And if you have integrity, you'll do it well for them. Mm-hmm. But the first thing is close a deal, cash in the bank, right? Yep. Yep. And if you're smart, more cash in the bank earlier on <laughs> from, the sale, from the sale, right? Yep. Uh, short yep. terms, things like that, or the right terms for your partner um, in terms of your invoicing. But I think that I think that to start my career, I went to this entrepreneurial business school. It's a small school, uh, Catholic school in San Diego. And I I went there and I learned entrepreneurial business. And I, as I was working on business plans and thinking about businesses that I wanted to do, one of the things I read was Pour Your Heart Into It by Howard Schultz. Um, okay. the founder of Starbucks. Um, and he he went on to obviously make Starbucks scale to what mm-hmm. it is today. And he, the thing that he said was when he was young, he was selling, I can't remember if it was printers or like KitchenAids, but he'd sell them door to door. And he said that the fortitude he got from doing that was what gave him the ability to become an excellent entrepreneur. Yeah. And because I wanted to become an entrepreneur, I said, okay, how do I go and face this kind of inhibition I have of not wanting to talk to people you know, I was afraid to get on the phone when I was in high school with people, especially if I yeah. liked what they were doing. I was really anxious and didn't want to do it. So yeah. I said, you know what? I'm going to dive in. Admissions is offering an opportunity for somebody to come and do selling college to, to other students. You know, I was in my junior or senior year and I started to do that. I also got kind of wrapped into the um, at a small school. You know, if you're yeah. doing anything that's hard, they'll try to pick you up to do more. So I started fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> and fundraising is also really hard, right? Doing kind of hard oh, ass, yeah. cutting it out, um, doing a ton of calls and just prospecting my guts out. And that, that I knew I was doing it for a reason. And the reason I was doing it was to go and learn how to um, be, be able to fight that inhibition to get on the phone. So at that stage mm-hmm. of my career and the first step, I'd say anybody thinking about sales, the number one thing you have to do is beat that inhibition. Luke, you know, I mean, yeah. What was your experience with me like talking about doing sales calls, right? Oh, I hated it. I hated it at first. I wouldn't like I couldn't like it took so long. And I remember because I remember we talked to I forget like when we first like started, I actually started doing like sales calls because I worked behind the scenes for a while. 
and I just I just didn't like doing cold calls at all. But then I saw, you know, I was just kind of like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And then what it, the interesting thing is that once you start doing it and you just get one good experience and you're like, wow, I talked to someone who was nice. It doesn't matter if they said no or what, but they were nice. They were conversational. They talked to me like I was a human being. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh. This isn't that bad because I can fixate that one <laughs> instance in my mind and then hope that it's going to happen every time, you know, throughout the constant rejection. Exactly. Yeah. And what, you know, I, this is going to be lesson number one from my okay. career is, uh, you know, tasks make people do things. People make companies do things. Companies buy. And at the end of the day, it really does come down to the task work. If you want to make sales, you've got to do the activity. And this is the yeah. number one thing everyone avoids. I've met guys who are in industry for 25 years and more, and what they'll do is at a certain point in career, they'll have other people do the calls for them because it's considered low-level work, but really it's the foundation, and if you don't go and do that activity, if nobody does that activity, you're not going to have leads. If you don't have leads, you don't have opportunities. If you don't have opportunities, you don't have closed deals, and really knowing that pipeline is critical, and it's really foundational. Yeah, and even when I was working under you and I was doing cold calls, you still did cold calls. Like I remember, I remember you were still doing it. Some, and I was just like, "Well, wow, you know, that's what I'm here for." But you know, you just, you know, in the weeds. And I think, and I just, and I know from my own experience of sales afterwards, like doing sales for myself and for my own businesses, is that it is true. Is that once you start doing the tasks, everything falls into place. You just, you just, it's, it's about reach. It's about having a good, well, having a good sale, you know, having a good product. But at the end of the day, it's about the reach. And so many people are like, well, I'm not getting sales. Like, well, are you reaching people? If you're not, then there's the problem. But it's hard. It's really, really difficult. Exactly. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead a little bit in terms of my thinking. But the, the truth is what you just said is so true. It's about reach. You know, there's, I think it's the Perry Marshall's 80-20 sales and marketing. He says, oh, yeah. you've got, you've got traffic, conversion, and economics. Economics mm-hmm. is your value proposition. Is there a good exchange of value? You've got conversion. How well is the story being told? And then you've got traffic. And at the lowest level, at the beginning, just get traffic. Yep. You'll refine yep. your story better over time. And if it's inbound, it's the same pl- principles apply. If it's referrals, the same principles apply. If it's cold calls, the same principles apply. And at the end of the day, not as many people are making cold calls, so be differentiated and get out there. Exactly. So that was the beginning of my career. and. Um, I started with the, the kind of hardcore cold calling. You know, when I was working from my school, JP Catholic, I was doing 140 calls a day <laughs> at my And I know there are people who do a lot more than that, but yeah. for me, that was really hard, okay? And yeah, well, yeah. That's all- to, one tip I'll say is it, it comes down to making dials, not getting conversations. Just like you said, Luke, yep. it's about getting your dials in, not yep. necessarily knowing you're going to have X number of conversations. The yeah. conversation. Yeah, that's one thing. That's one thing I remember. It just it dialing, just dial, just dial the phone, and that was one thing that really helped me get over my fear. In fact, you know, like you know, just get over that fear. Because difficult is just I'm just dialing the phone. I would hope and pray that no one answered. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, please don't let anyone answer. I don't like because then then all of a sudden someone answers, then you have to like you have to like sell them but not sell them and it's a skill right it's something you develop over time but i just made the dial and someone pick up like oh i stumbled away my way through what i was supposed to say you know the graph you gave me and then i just did that you know like hundreds of times 
And then over the course of what is it, like two years or something like that, I got a lot better at it. And soon I was just calling and I was able to do things, you know, blah, 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 blah. No one answered. Okay, whatever. Someone answered like, oh, switch right into my little pitch, what I was supposed to say. It just gets, it just gets easier, right? It's never, I never liked doing it, but it, it became a habit and a skill and it became just a lot easier to just go into. Yeah, habit's a good word. And to mm-hmm. step forward in my career, like the next thing I did after that, you know, I did that through graduation, and after I graduated, I worked out as a full-time job doing fundraising. Um, ultimately, after that, I started working. I mean, I, fundraising, the department changed a lot, and I wanted to move into another section. I had an opportunity to help start a business incubator at the university. So mm-hmm. I worked a lot with the students and kind of a lot of the faculty to build a business incubator, and that was fun. And right as it was going to be funded, I got an opportunity to go work for a company that did automated warehouse center design, kind of an obscure thing, doing yeah. business development. And that was the next transition. And entrepreneurship-wise, it was a new company, mm-hmm. a design and build company. They would design automated warehouse distribution centers using European methods in the American market. So it was innovative. Okay. And my job was to call Fortune 500 decision makers, right? Wow. And, and get these guys... You know, I, I remember talking to the guy in charge of international strategic initiatives at Gap in San Francisco. Um, you know, at um, Georgia Pacific, and talking about paper production, and, and really, it came down to having the right questions to ask, and that's where I began to develop, okay. you know, that that next piece instead of traffic through talking about conversion and your story and your value proposition. And I wasn't in a place where I could develop that value proposition. You know, mm-hmm. what's given to you at that level? Yeah, like value proposition. But I got better and better telling that story. And that's where those phone calls became more meaningful, longer conversations about the needs of the client. And that's really where you want to go. When you just want to get enough conversation to be able to talk about what they really need and then find a match. And if you're not a match, get off their phone. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm doing services, I take vendor calls you know, two, three times a week now as I look for different ways to innovate what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, every time I get on the phone with a salesperson, I'm like, oh, Tell me what your qualifier <laughs> questions are. And I'll, uh, you've thought about this more than I am. If okay. I don't, I'll tell you. You know what I mean? <laughs> So that's so you said something really interesting there. I want to pounce on, okay? Um, qualifier questions. What does that – just explain kind of what that is and maybe give some examples of some qualifier questions that you would ask or that you want to be asked. Absolutely. Thank you for drawing that out because I didn't even think about it when I said it. You know, when I set up a sales approach, I always do one set of things. And, and, you know, biggest mistakes I've made in my career, one of them is not doing this one thing disciplined in uh, the job that I had after ABCO, which was working for Harvard Technology, not the school. (laughs) I've heard that a million times, yes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You got to, you know, I got to... I got to say, what you do is you say, what is your value proposition? You've got to know what your value is for the client, at mm-hmm. least what the company tells you it is, because sometimes it's not even what your company is selling, you know, what they say to sell. you got to sell something else. Yep. Um, but then there's also your market. Who's your market? Who are your competitors? How do you stack up against them? That little discipline goes so far in clarifying what you just asked, the, the qualifying questions. Knowing where you fit in your market, knowing where you fit in the certain the customers' um, needs will tell you what questions to ask to see whether or not you're fit, right? They have they mm-hmm. have certain things they need. You have certain things you need, like a certain size of company, revenue, whether or not they're decision maker, 
couldn't say Bant. Um, oh gosh, Luke, what is Bant? I can never remember. <laughs> it's you know, authority, timing. Um, go ahead. Do you remember? No, I don't. Budget. budget, budget oh, budget. Authority. Authority, timing, and the end. What's the end? Network? No. Net worth? I don't know. I don't know. I'll put I'll put in the show notes. Hey, that's a that's a call to action, right? Go to the show notes, lukedmaxwell.com slash podcast. Um, you can find all of Steven's links that we talked about here, and I'll explain Bant there. <laughs> Perfect. I can't believe I'm forgetting. How embarrassing. In any case, you've got those questions that are how well the client fits you. And I, I always look at the value proposition. I say, you know, what are the main things that make it possible for us to deliver the most value, and how do I turn those into questions? And then those are the questions you're going to ask your client and say, you know, are you guys, uh, like for instance, at Yellow Line, you know, we're a digital marketing agency. Um, who do you want to reach? What do you want them to do? If, if they can answer those questions, we're great. What's your brand story? If they can answer that last question, or then we know they're a fit, as long as they have the budget, authority, timing, and need. Need, that's need, what they Yeah, doing. yeah, there we go, there and, we uh, go. And really, you were qualifying the need with those questions. If somebody doesn't know their own story as an agency, we can't tell it for them. And it sets us into these downward spirals trying oh, yeah. to serve. So those questions are critical, you know, and, and thank you for pointing them out. They're a big part of setting up your sales approach. Find out who your market is, develop a list, develop a list of the people you want to call, develop a list of emails you're going to send, uh, build your value proposition, codify it, get it down to a 10 second pitch, then make the bloody calls. Nobody yep. makes the call. Just call and yep. start calling and sending emails. And I tell you, I get prospected all the time by email. Nobody calls me. The people who call me, I give them a conversation because I was in sales. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the funny thing is from being in sales, I respect good sales and so much more. Like if someone reaches out to me by email and if it's in like an okay email, I'm like, you know, I don't really want this. Like I, I, I'm not interested. Like I'll wait for the seconds for the follow-up email. If I get the follow-up email, I'm like, okay, I respect you. You're actually serious about this, you know, because anyone can just blast out emails. It takes time and discipline to follow up, to give, you know, meaningful information to call. And if that happens, I'm like, okay, you're serious about what you do. I'll respect that. I'll respect, you know, that dedication you have. And I think, you know, that's that's coming like from someone who wanted, you know, you, you know, as a salesman, you want other people to treat you in that way. So it's it's kind of like the golden rule in that respect. Um, but I kind of I want I want to focus, you know, on your life. But I want to I want to take I want to go to the mistakes because no one's perfect. And a huge part of an entrepreneurial journey, a bit, you know, a professional journey, like whatever journey it is, it's about overcoming challenges because they're going to face. And so I wanted to start this off, though, <laughs> with I with the, the moment and I wanted your your honest first impression of me that day. What, like f years ago, you saw me across the hall and I just, I just fixed and like that moment, I realized like, oh, <laughs> like later I was like, oh, wow, he like he, he like wants my my work, my sweat equity, like right now. <laughs> I, I didn't know you were going to just self-aggrandize yourself. Here. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, you know that, that I saw you working over there. It's like, here is a hardworking individual. I want I want my, uh, <laughs> you know, you just have a gregarious outgoing personality. I knew that you were working hard nearby me. And I needed somebody who could churn activity with me. Um, we needed volume of activity and I knew that 
you looked like a likely candidate. So I tried to snare you. <laughs> he did. I went from being everyone's intern. So like a bunch, I was, I was called the intern there mainly because some people couldn't remember my name. That's okay. Um, but uh, I went from being the intern to Steven's intern. Like I, you stole me away from everybody, which I'm totally okay with. I, you know, I had lots of fun, um, but I do, I do want to take a serious turn and I do want to focus, you know, what is um, just a place, just not the opposite of a highlight, right? Um, where you had a challenge to overcome and you overcame it. Absolutely. And there are so many instances we could talk about, but I think the first one that comes to mind just to kind of continue the sequence we're in a good place in my career to talk about it was Harvard Technology. You know, it was a really challenging organization. Um, they didn't, you know, they've since this conversation has begun now, and I may as well tell you, the company's gone into administration, which in Britain means bankruptcy. And working for them, you know, it was a family-owned company at first, and they had a lot of challenges over the time, and they sold to, um, um, uh, what do they call private equity. So they kind of yeah. began to look at the company and try to turn it around. Um, from an ownership standpoint, um, I think the owners who were original probably would have done better than the private equity did. I mean, obviously, it's bankrupt now, but mm-hmm. it could be blame pointed in any direction. But on that journey, I mean, it was a really fun company to work with. I had a great boss, Anthony Corey, and we had an amazing team there um, here in the U.S. And why it was entrepreneurial, you know, the company created uh, the technology that goes inside of LED lighting to change the electricity to make it electricity that's really good for producing light through an LED that was okay. what we produced that technology. And we would sell to manufacturers who were making lights. And I'm talking like nice lights, okay? okay. Like go into a Nike store or um, an Adidas store at the mall and look at the lights and you'll probably be like, okay, those are pretty nice lights. Yeah, Nike. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. architectural, they're beautiful. That was yeah. our market because our product was so expensive. And we had to go find that out. We had to go find out, is our product, you know, gonna, where does it fit? And we found it fit with the architectural people because it was made in Britain. It was expensive. It was a British company. And, um, you know, getting down to kind of the mistakes, the, the, the biggest mistake I made was I knew I knew tasks make people do things, people make companies do things, mm-hmm. buy, um, and that I needed a volume of activity. But I, we were given a really bad tool. We were given a horrible tool of salespeople. We were given Sage CRM from like 1995. And it was just Ooh. a trouble. It was slow. It was oh, no. completely... It was just really bad. I mean, it was so bad, you really couldn't use it. You really couldn't use it. And they kind of try these user adoption things, and you try to use it, but it was so clunky and slow. And the biggest mistake I made early on there is not just buying for myself for 33 bucks a subscription to, like, Pipe Drive or, you know, mm. you any of it. Yeah, exactly. Anything, really. Anything other than what I was using. And... um Copper would be another one from Zoho. Any of it. Even if you use Zoho for free, <laughs> I don't know what the problem is. But I didn't do it. Um, partly I just kind of feeling obligated to the company to not build alternative architecture for myself. Yeah. yeah. But really, I, I, I knew that deep down, I knew that that was a mistake I was making. And I didn't trust my instincts. And that would be the second one I want to discuss at the same company is you've got to trust your instincts. You really do got to trust your instincts. But with the CRM, you've got to capture data. You've got to give yourself the right tools. And if you're in a position where you're trying to make sales and you're not using the right tools, the one thing I'll say, take a week to stop and do, maybe two weeks, not more than two weeks, get down <laughs> to activity, but set up the right infrastructure because it can capture that activity. It can make that activity work. The CRM is completely necessary. Customer relationship management database, 
mm-hmm. and with the right one, you know, Luke, oh, I mean, yeah. how much volume can you turn in terms of activity with we the were, right? System? We, we were, we were turning, we had like hundreds and hundreds of emails going out a day, all to very, all to selective prospected um, people. Like it was just, it was just massive. We had, you know, we had what, like 10,000 people in our database. We were able to sort by every kind of qualification. I mean, some of them were more qualified than others, but. Um, markets. We were looking. We yeah, were exactly. Back then we were working in food. We were working yeah. um, in kind of beverage. We were doing a lot of different industries and that's I, what you need. That was the problem is at Harvard. I had, you know, a, I had a finite market. Like I had my sales territory, which was California and the West Coast, kind of everything west of the Rockies. But in lighting, it was sort of like Colorado, Oregon, Washington, California. And honestly, if I had put it into a CRM and done it correctly, I would have been killing it. I turned a $0 territory into a $2 million territory within two years from a company that was brand new in the United States. Oof. So it's not like I didn't do anything, but I would have been a 4 or $5 million territory. Yeah. Undoubtedly, because I had to manage relationships at the same time as managing volume of activity because you've got kind of uh-huh. prospecting, which is doing the volume of activity to get leads. Then you've got kind of nurturing, getting relationships to the point of sale, and then selling, which is taking somebody who has an opportunity for you through the, through close. And mm-hmm. I was doing selling and nurturing, and I never got back to prospecting. So the top of my pipeline wouldn't fill up, yep. which is what you were doing with me here at Yellow Line. You were filling the top of my pipeline. So exactly. Right. Um, and that was the mistake I made. I, I got stuck in selling and nurturing and didn't do any prospecting because I didn't have a CRM, and it stifled my sales a lot. And people will make the excuse to you in companies that you should have an inside sales resource to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Everybody can say you'll get inbound leads, you'll get opportunities that call you, or you'll have an inside sales resource. Shut up and do the activity. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. And 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 I love that because uh, so I've done I've done uh, quite a quite a few interviews I've you know done a lot of coaching I've done, you know I've met a lot of people with various entrepreneurial journeys right um, the one thing that always comes up is like whether it's a mistake or their advice or something is trust your instincts. They're there for a reason, obviously. And the thing is, like, there's a certain level, right? You should have a foundation, right? Your instincts are kind of built on a foundation, right? You already had a pretty strong foundation, so you had very good reason to trust your instincts. And I think that's one thing we can take away, looking straight into the camera, is, you know, first, you know, make sure that your instincts are pulling you in the wrong direction. Like, you know, maybe have someone, you know, give you some advice, but... Your instincts will tell you. Your gut will tell you. There's, I mean, the science, I don't really know, like, the in-depth science behind it, but there is. The way your brain is connected to your stomach is pretty interesting. So, trust your gut. And that is, that is a great, that is a great story. But that's, that's, let's turn to happier times, you know? What's a highlight? You know, what's that, what's maybe it's the big sale, the big win? Like, what is that highlight? There were so many good times at Harvard. I mean, the thing that my boss did there that was great is he built a great, you know, he said, when the day he hired me, he said, like, this is a meritocracy. You're going to win on how well you sell yourself. But everybody was there to do that. Everybody knew there was a clear, definite, definitive, you know, objective. And everybody was sharing in it and competing a little bit, but really working hard together to build this, you know, little offshoot of a big British company. You had 300 employees and we were like five in the US office and it was just the five of us. And each of us took a section of the U.S. and had to go scrap. Um, and he just he made it fun. And, you know, we had 
gosh, I can give you another good story that was you got when you're looking at accounts and you're looking at kind of the nurture and sell part of things. What you have to do is really go deep into an organization and go wide and know everybody that you can, especially if you're the person who's really selling, not prospecting. When you're really in sell mode, you need to know the buyer. You need to know the buyer's boss. You need to know the buyer's boss's grandmother. Okay, You need to know everybody in that company because what will happen is what happened to me at Harvard. I had, um, I had a sale I was making for $250,000, which was a big nice. year a big PO for me is yeah. an annual purchase. It would amount to a lot of commission for this. <laughs> I mean, a lot of commission. So I went to, I went to go do this sale. And when I showed up, up in uh, Hayward up near San Francisco, up near San Jose, um, you know, I show up and it, I'm like finding out the engineer I was working with is fired. I'm finding out the, oh. the, the designer I was working with is fired. I'm finding out that the buyer I'm working with is being demoted. Right. I'm about to sign this oh, PO. No. Oh, it no. sounds like all bad news bears. But then the week before, I had gone down to Mexico, kind of just to go down to Mexico because my <laughs> in the heat of Latin America, and he was going to bring yeah. me to Rosarito and Ensenada, and we went through the Valle de Guadalupe down there in uh, south of Tijuana. It's just beautiful. It's like wine country down there, and oh, there's yeah. this lighting facility that we went to go visit for the company for the client. Turns okay. out, the general manager of that facility, we hit it off great. <laughs> okay. He was promoted that week. <laughs> in charge of design and buying so i flew back <laughs> and and i sold him and he bought even more. he bought like three hundred fifty thousand dollars for the product and it was just like it was uh, um and so you know you really know your accounts know all the people but that that was a great experience um another one yeah. i have that is just sort of a a funny one is i spent two to three years working at a company in linwood trying to get them to buy our stuff and um, I did everything un- unimaginable, right? We bought yeah. cigars for them. We went out and enjoyed good evenings together. I spent so much time. I designed an Excel spreadsheet that would tell them how to use my competitor's product with my product. Okay, I literally designed a spreadsheet that would tell Whoa. them how to use the manufacturing line for my product. I did wow. it all. I went as deep as you can go for this. Yeah. Two years, and everybody in the office is making fun of me. It's five hundred thousand right. dollars, and I'm like. It's going to close, y'all. It's going to close. And this was the other mistake I made. I didn't have that belief with enough projects. I really didn't. I had the belief with this one because it was just too obvious. But it was slapped upside the head. But you've got to have belief in your product. If you don't believe in your product, don't sell it. Go find another company. And Mm -hmm. then if you believe in it, believe and execute. I would not believe enough in some projects and I'd kind of let them get quagmired. And I lost opportunity that way. And I learned that from my previous boss. He would believe in something that you shouldn't even believe in, to be honest. <laughs> but he'd close things that you shouldn't even close. He would tell people to buy and they would buy. It was insane. In oh. any case, to end the story, I went up to Linwood on my last day at Harvard after I resigned and they signed that $500,000 deal. After <laughs> you? <laughs> yeah, they gave and the commission all went to the guy who I was working with before. But he deserved oh, it. Really uh, he was a really good guy. So, wow. you know, I paid it forward a little bit. But yeah. it was really good. It was a great, a, a great time and even though the, the company is, has since gone under, um, mm-hmm. the U.S. team always have a huge amount of respect for them, and they did everything they could for their division. I don't know what has happened to them, but um, it, was a, it was a fun time. Wow. And I, I went to Yellow Line. I mean, I left because I saw where the company was headed. Yeah. I can tell you a little bit about that if you want to hear, but it has to do with prices and margins. And 
Well, yeah, let's let's see how deep we can go. Um, let's 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 talk a little bit about that because if you're gonna create a product, you need to sell it, but you also need to sell the right price point. And I think that's I think that's an interesting direction we can go in. Is that you know tell us a little about that you know that detail of margins. You know, just you know go ahead and you know tell us. Sorry. Well, yeah, and I, I, again, Anthony Corey, my previous boss, he he would always say, um, he had a couple good sayings. This was one of them. He said. Um, revenue is vanity, margin is sanity. So the amount of money that you make on your profit margin is what's way more important than the amount of dollars that come to your company. Because yep. if you're spending 90% of it and keeping 10%, you know, let's say $100 comes in, you spend 90 of it and keep $10 of it. Mm-hmm. Or you can sell a $25 product, spend five of it and keep 20 of it and yeah. sell a lot more of those, right? Mm-hmm. That's the yep. difference of profit and revenue. And as a salesperson, it doesn't always apply to you, but the higher you go in your career, the more control you'll have over that and the, impo- the more important it becomes. And the thing at Harvard they were doing is they were selling a $20 piece of product and they were trying to sell thousands and thousands of them. And right. the product costs 15 bucks or more to make, let's say, right? Yeah. You had a $20 product, costs 15 bucks to make, you're keeping $5. Mm-hmm. Now, if they had taken a light fixture, which was a way less complicated technology, and wrapped some metal around their technology down in Mexico, they would have sold a $250 product. It would have cost $50 to make. When they sell one, they make like a thousand percent more, right? Insane amounts more. And I tried my best to try to get them to recognize that that's where the demand was in the United States. They had this wireless control system. They needed to make lights that were wirelessly controlled and sell them to Walmart and just fill huge distribution centers with them. Right. Um, and it would have made them incredible a powerhouse. But they needed to take a few risks, and they just weren't willing to go there. And for that, I think they, they had an opportunity, and they went bankrupt because they didn't pursue it. Okay. So, you know, I, the other one I will say, the other Anthony Coryism that I like is what gets written gets measured, what gets measured gets done. What gets written gets yep. Yep. You, um, the bullet method, you implemented that. You made me implement that. And today I still use it. I can't not use it. When I'm taking notes, I have a notepad right here that has the circle for the meeting, you know, the line, you know, as a note, the dot, you know, it is that action item. And I can't not do that. I can't look, I can't take notes any other way because I can't read it. And so I just want to people to do yeah 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 well you did i mean and that's one thing so and that's one thing i I, as as we kind of as we kind of turn um towards the end of this um i always i didn't i didn't realize at the time um when it was happening but oftentimes you would force me and other people to do things and we'd be like really blah 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 blah. and i realized oh wait that was actually really (laughs) that was actually that was actually a good decision so being the boss and I think that's anyone for anyone who wants to, you know, be the boss, you know, or a boss, you know, over people. Um, it's hard to it's hard to balance that companionship, the friend, you know, friendliness and like the do this, do this, do that. Why isn't this done? And I think that I think that's one reason we worked really well together is because we can both kind of switch that on and off. We can both be like, okay, do this, focus, boom, 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 getting it done. And then we can just like, okay, now we're relaxing a little bit, you know, having some more fun. Um, and that's one thing. That's what I mean. That's honestly, that's like the big reason that I stayed is because, um, well, first of all, you know, I, I was like, okay, it's a good job, steady income, it's great, and I'm learning a lot. But that was the other thing is like I can, I there's a great balance of just like 
pressure to achieve. And okay, let's have some fun now and play Dragon Force, you know, <laughs> in the office. <laughs> and so I kind of I want to take this the, the end of this to focus on actions always, right? We've given a lot of actions, you know, just like do the work. But I kind of I kind of want to I want I want to take this a little bit of a ter- different turn, and maybe about selling yourself because a lot of people listening. They're maybe they don't have a product yet. They're just trying to sell themselves as something, right? As a job, um, to get into college, you know, to create a brand. What are some things that you have done? What actions? What steps would you take? Well, you know, maybe from the big branding, the big picture of selling, you know, hundred thousand dollar deals. Br- scale it down. What are the steps you would take to sell yourself? Oh, that's a hard one. I mean, you talk a little bit about the difference between leadership and management there. And I think one of the big things I'm continuing to learn in leadership is just the importance of meeting people where they are and understanding their unique skill sets. One thing I think that plays a lot in following your instincts is taking a strengths finder test and knowing what your strengths are and competing on them. And really, you've got to be real with who you actually are. People can sense inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. People can sense when you don't believe in your product. If you don't believe in yourself, how are you going to sell yourself? You've got to know what your strengths are. You've got to really know your strengths. And you have strengths. Find them. Be honest about it. And present yourself. And look, you're, you know, you're the best at helping people find this in themselves. And that's really what you've got to do. You've got to find what your strengths are. You've got to be honest about what they are. And sell on those strengths. Those are your value proposition. And just be honest to who you are. Don't try to be somebody else. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is in selling yourself – Try to get as much data as you can about your successes. Look at those strengths. Look at how they've been implemented and really go deep there because sometimes, you know, it won't be revenue numbers. It won't be um, that you put up X number of calls maybe. You may have strengths you don't expect. Sell on those strengths. Find where you can share concrete instances of how you've been successful with them and bring those to people because – I'll tell you something. I've been, you know, I, I spent the last quarter looking to hire people, and you know, we did interview after interview after interview with people. And what's hard to find is just somebody who's honest and works hard. Do you know what I mean? Somebody yeah. who's honest and works hard. And yeah. it's don't bring first your needs to your client. Bring first to address their needs. Understand if you're trying to sell yourself. Understand the person who's going to be buying from you. What their needs are. Serve their needs, but do it with your authentic approach and just believe in it and pursue it. And if you lose the opportunity, it doesn't mean you don't have those strengths. It means that didn't fit their needs or they couldn't see it because sometimes you get stupid people. You know what I mean? Yep. You get stupid clients, buyers you don't understand. Yep. And you just got to move on to the next prospect. Right. That's yep. my take. Okay. That's the word of wisdom. Cause, and confidence, I mean, that's why, you know, this podcast is called Communicate with Confidence because – um, so much, you know, the relentless pursuit of what you want most is that you got to, you got to speak well, you got to write well, you know, you got to present your thoughts well, but you also got to be confident in yourself and present that confidence out. And I love that two steps. And I think that's a the big takeaway. I mean, there's been a lot of big takeaways, but be honest and work hard, be honest and work hard. Like that's, that, that's such, and then, and then be open to learning. Like I, I learned so much and I adapted so much of how I do things because I learned, you know, I was doing the job and then over time I was like, okay, this is a way to do that. And I know I would, you know, I would approach you and be like, okay, I have this, you know, here's a way to organize this or do this, you know? And then we discussed and see that. And it took a while for me to, you know, to realize that, okay, I, I know this, you know, I know, 
I can present this idea, you know, I can, I, I know enough of myself to take these steps forward, you know, and do these different things, you know? So I love it. Be honest and work hard. I think that's, that's a, that's a great takeaway. I think that's a great ending. Please tell us where people can go to find more about you. Best place right now is uh, yellowlinedigital.com. We're going to be revising our site in the next few months here. Ooh. You know, we're a digital agency. I'm a partner here. My partner and I, Joe, work really hard on this company. It's what we're pouring our hearts into right now. And I you know if you want to find out more about what we do, you can find it. Yep. There's a lot of great content, great blog posts, great videos starring you. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of great information on there. Um, also I can, uh, link Steven's LinkedIn, you know, to maybe start a conversation there if you're willing to do that. And thank you so much, Steven, for coming on. Like I said, in the middle, uh, you can find show notes, all the links, the books, the references, everything we talked about at lukedmaxwell.com slash podcast. Um, you can find all of Steven's, you know, information everything from there and some exclusive benefits for you excluding a free coaching call with me do what you love and remember to always stay on the positive side of things there we go Sick. Sick. dude that was great i, I learned something about, about you i wish i had <laughs> <laughs> oh now you gotta do